Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 352. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2018, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special offer for a free trial issue at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 352. Today's guest is Leslie Jonath, creative director of San Francisco-based Connected Dots Media. Leslie has over 20 years experience in book publishing, creative services, and media business development. And for any of you who dream of producing a book of your own, you'll want to listen closely to her process and her advice. From 1991 to 2009, Leslie was an integral part of the editorial and development team at Chronicle Books, a Bay Area-based independent publishing house known for its lively, eye-catching, and trend-setting books, gifts, stationery, and other consumer products about food, art, pop culture, gardening, design, lifestyles, and more. As a senior editor in the food, lifestyle, and custom publishing categories, Leslie developed acquisition strategies, launched the successful garden and craft categories, acquired, produced, edited, and project managed over 250 books across a variety of categories, including food, pop culture, crafts, lifestyle, art, architecture, memoir, and children's projects. She also created a cause-related publishing model for nonprofit organizations, creating books to benefit Meals on Wheels of San Francisco, PAWS, Bay Area Schools, and Next Course, which provided job and life skills training for incarcerated women. As a director of creative development, Leslie was a founding member and co-director of Chronicle's custom publishing division, creating innovative products for cultural institutions, name brand companies, and retailers. Clients included Baby Gap, Starbucks, Anthropology, and the San Francisco Ballet. The success of her work in this division led to a position as Director for Creative Services for the company's business development team. As head of creative services, Leslie and her teams conceptualized, produced, and developed innovative beyond-the-book services for custom clients, including videos and other digital products. While at Chronicle, Leslie teamed up with Ariella Shazar to create Ariella's first book in 2002, Flowers for the Table. The book revolves around several seasonal occasions from a summer wedding in the country to hot colored poppies on a cold winter's night. After leaving Chronicle Books in 2009, Leslie founded Connected Dots Media, working with clients in book packaging, video production, and concept and content development and production. And she reunited with Ariella Shazar in 2016 to create and publish the beautiful new book, The Flower Workshop, for 10 Speed Press. 
Leslie has also guided Aaron Benzikane and Julie Chai on the award-winning Florette Farms Cut Flower Garden Book. And you've heard both Ariella and Aaron in the past on this podcast. So now we're going to hear from the woman behind those projects and so many others. I've invited Leslie today to talk about two personal book projects that have her name on the cover as author. The first, just out, is called Foraged Art, Creative Projects Using Blooms, Branches, Leaves, Stones, and Other Elements Discovered in Nature. It was published by Blue Streak Books this week. Leslie's co-author is artist Peter Cole, and the two previously collaborated on Peter's books about environmental art, including Snowmen and Great Pumpkins. In the spirit of land artists like Andy Goldsworthy, the book Foraged Art is as much about discovery as it is about creation. Leaves shaped like lips might inspire a face. An array of rocks might become an eclectic mosaic. Winter's first snow might be carved into glowing luminaria. Whether you love to look for heart-shaped flowers or you want to make a peacock made with flower petals, readers will find great inspiration and joy in foraged art. Art meditation and nature meet in this adult-focused activity book with projects that take inspiration from the natural environment using blooms, pods, branches, stones, and other natural elements. Divided into chapters by natural elements, flowers, leaves, rocks and pods, and more, the book encourages readers to forage and play outside using nature's seasonal art box. Foraged art is about making art from what you find and finding art in what you see. Leslie and I will also discuss Feed Your People, an ambitious book that she has been working on for several years, from concept to completion. Feed Your People is a modern community cookbook. Leslie envisioned the need for Feed Your People after she realized that despite the popularity of dinner clubs, pop-up dinners, and holiday entertaining, there were surprisingly few cookbooks or resources that offered practical instruction on cooking for crowds. To that end, she approached the community of big-hearted cooks and chefs, experts who cook for their communities, whose generosity inspired this project. Stories of their gatherings are accompanied by recipes with detailed information on equipment, make-ahead strategies, and tips for cooking for groups from 8 to 40 or even 50. As Leslie explains, on a deeper level, the book is about building and feeding community, and fittingly, she teamed up with 18 Reasons, a beloved San Francisco-based organization that provides classes to low-income residents and hosts monthly community dinners. Leslie wanted this book to inspire cooks everywhere to bring their communities together for a meal, no matter what the occasion, from a simple soup supper to a pasta pot, Whether using paper plates and fingers or cloth napkins, there are recipes around which to create a well-considered, delicious, and memorable event. She sees Feed Your People as a celebration of community, a guide that will encourage people everywhere to feed each other, both literally and spiritually. So let's get started. I know you'll love this conversation. And you can visit DeborahPrinzing.com for episode 352 to see photos and inside pages of Leslie's new books and to follow links to her social places. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so delighted today to introduce my friend Leslie Jonath, and Leslie's uh, and I are on the line via Skype. She's in San Francisco. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for jumping on the line with me today. I am so excited to be talking to you. <laughs> well, the reason that this conversation uh, got 
scheduled. We should have done this many other times, but uh, you have a brand new book out called Foraged Art. And I love the cover. I will share it with our listeners on the show notes at deborahprinzing.com. The subtitle is Creative Projects Using Blooms, Branches, Leaves, Stones, and Other Elements Discovered in Nature. Uh, So is it just out? Is it on the news? Is it in bookstores now? It's actually coming on June 5th. Oh. So I just have my advances, but it is out June 5th. Okay, perfect. That's That was yesterday by the time this gets aired. Um, tell me about this book. What, uh, what, how would you describe it, you know, a little bit further than the subtitle that I, I just read? How did it come to be? And, and what, you know, you're, a, you're an editor and a um, book diva, <laughs> and now you're, doing, uh-huh. now you're doing art. Tell us about that. Well, um, Forest Art started because of a collaboration I have ongoing with an artist by the name of Peter Cole. Mm -hmm. And Peter and I have known each other since college. We went to Middlebury College together. And um, Peter does beautiful environmental pieces, and he's also a collector. So I've known Peter for years. And when we were at, uh, when I was actually at uh, Chronicle Books, where I was an editor for many years, I I think that. I I came upon the idea of doing a book about snowmen. Um, There was a lot of, we were looking for uh, family activities that people did. And one of them in the wintertime is snowmen. So I um, asked Peter if he would do the snowman book and he laughed. And because we had been at Middlebury for such a long time, but, um, (laughs) you know, snow, (laughs) I know. Well, you know, he's from Santa Barbara and I'm from San Francisco, so there's not that much snow. Oh, I see. Because he's been at Middlebury, <laughs> there was a lot of snow. Um, and so we did this book that was a snowman book, and Peter can make anything out of anything. Mm. So we, after we did a snowman book, we did a, a Snowy Dick, the Great White Whale, we did a Stegosaurus, we did Snowbugs. So Peter and I embarked on a process of working on a kind of kid-friendly environmental art. And after we did snowmen, we did sandcastles, and then we did pumpkins. And to give you an idea of how creative Peter is, um, our typical process is that I come up with the ideas or some of the ideas, and I sent him a table of contents. And he called me one day and he said, Leslie, I can't make Mount Rushmore in a pumpkin. And I said, yes, you can, Peter. You're a genius. You can do anything. And, and he did. After he squawked, he then ended up creating um, uh, the Mona Lisa. He carved the Mona Lisa into a pumpkin. Uh, I think I so saw that. Really yeah, been, that's amazing. I think yeah, I saw that photo he, online. He is a magical person. Mm. So for many years, I wanted to do a book. Again, I wanted to do something that was environmentally based. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought about doing something that was really about um, a kid's book that was along the lines of play with your world. Mm. But then when we started to look at creating this book, uh, so so often is, is the process of doing a book, you really do have to think about um, who's the audience, how are people going to use this, and also, really importantly, how are we going to get this done? And so once we uh, figured out that, you know, sort of containing the kind of um, um, materials, not making it be so far ranging, but actually to contain the materials to flowers and things you could find around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, I mean, as is the case again with lots of book 
concepts as they evolve. And so it went from being a kind of fun kids book to more of a mindfulness meditation book. And I realized, again, after having worked with a lot of floral designers, that part of the joy of being in the garden is is knowing how to look at things. And so um, when Peter and I started working on the Forged Art Book, uh, he really applies a lot of the fine art pr- principles to uh, of painting mm. to um, making forged art. So whether it's patterns in nature or it's fractals or it's making spirals, uh, working with color, he uses a lot of those same techniques to then make forged art. Um, and also, yeah. it's it's a much more simple process. Uh, it, what I liked about creating the book is um, that so much of it was in response to where we were, as opposed to superimposing one's idea of what one thought one was going to make, which often you start making one thing and you end up making something else. I love that because I think I hear so often from people like, well, the flowers will tell me what to do. And I think that seems to be the, the spirit in which this book was created. Like the, I'm looking at the... Um, project that I just actually thought was so charming, the Twig Stars, where you used little Ys, little Y shapes from branch twigs and made the tips of stars and and, and kind of like a five-point or a six-point star. So inventive to just see something that's fallen down the you know, on the on the lawn or in the driveway from a storm and turn it into this graphic um, just piece of art. It's just really wonderful. And it, that kind of was a response to some twigs you probably saw, right? Yes. I'm so glad you pointed out that particular project. And that's a, a really good example of Peter finding that particular, you know, you find a lot of those twigs everywhere. And then Peter started making a bunch of them. And then <laughs> I together as a, as a, into a star. So the way that, um, mm. What's fun about working with Peter is Peter is such a, um, it's about play mm-hmm. and it's about seeing things that you might not normally see because you, you put things in context that you wouldn't normally see them. Um, we've had a lot of conversations about like the difference um, between decoration and art and mm. often there isn't that much of a difference, mm-hmm. but the way we defined it for the book was that there was some sort of transformation that would happen between the object that we saw and how it, it ended. So, you know, putting flowers on a fence to me felt like decoration, but if you actually take, you recontextualize the petals into a puddle or you put them into an, a surprising way that you wouldn't normally see it, we decided that that was much more artful. Um, uh, just in terms of like how you how you think about what you see, and as you pointed out, so much of the joy is about um, you know making art from what you find and finding art in what you see. Right, and it's so much of it is about being able to see. Right, that I totally agree, and I feel like if people were to pick up this book and just uh, use it as a starting point or a launching uh, idea, launching pad, there it would perhaps change your walk down the, you know, down the street or your, um, your shortcut that you're taking, you know, through the park or whatever, because you're going to look at everything that has basically is, um, a gift from nature as, uh, as something worthy of making art. And that's, that's really special. And I think we need that more than ever these days. You know, we're just so inundated with plastic and, you know, reproduction art and things that 
I don't know, just don't have a soul. And I feel like this is, this is wonderful. That's so kind of you to say. I know that it really has changed my life. Um, as I mentioned, Peter really has a, a very classic arts background. And he's also one of the funniest, most playful people. He's just a joy to work with. But really, you know, we started making the pedal pedals and the way that um, it's a it's a beautiful project in the in the book that Peter and Peter put together. And we took embroidery hoops and then just layered pedals into the embroidery hoop. Yeah, and then I when you pull that. off the embroidery hoop, you have a polka dot. And so Peter did this beautiful like carpet of polka dots using red rose petals and um, hydrangea white petals and um, nasturtium leaves, which are all like flat. And, you know, the, the trick, there's always some little trick or some little gift that Peter um, has figured out so that it makes it look just a little bit more um, intentional. So with the petal petals, you, again, that embroidery hoop is such a beautiful little tool. And then, you know, he tells you in the book, we talk about lining the petals up on the outside of the ring so that you really get that beautiful crisp edge, which just makes them pop off of the, off to the ground. Um and also just using the, you know, the idea of contrast that you make a petal petal, maybe a red one on a dark surface. Maybe you have um, a porch or maybe you have old wood, but you, you really do sort of look around and see, you know, what would this, how would this color really um, pop off of this surface? How do you use negative space? And it's, really simple. These are all things you can do. Maybe you want to make a leaf ombre, you know, and you just stack the leaves on top of each other. And it's just it's a simple thing, but mm. it's, it creates such beautiful beauty and magic. Um, I actually can't walk down the street anymore um, <laughs> without seeing something I want to make. And my kid is so funny. She's always watching me. She's like, Leslie, you have the funniest work. But um, <laughs> I will also say that um, there's a lot that's come from working with floral designers. Um, as you know, I, I worked with, uh, had the pleasure of working with Ariella Chazar, and she's just a master of color. And so I learned so much from her and apply a lot of the techniques that she's yeah. used um, in bouquets to the foraged art process as well. Well, I want to ask you more about um, your work with floral designers. But before we do, I just want to mention a couple more things about foraged art before we move on. Um, it, you have over 35 hands-on projects that take their inspiration from nature, and you've kind of organized the book by materials, which um, is sort of like giving people a little structure there, like the flower chapter, the, the tree chapter, the rock chapter, and I think that's a really fun. Um, the other thing I really like about it, and I think this is maybe your editor's um, what you brought to the table, Leslie, is that you have this really beautiful organization. So there's tools and techniques for each one of these projects. And then you kind of come up with these these uh, steps that people should take, like the gather step, the comp com composition or composing step, the creating step. And then you end every one of these projects with um, advice on how to leave no trace. And can you talk a little bit about that? I think that that's, that's just really beautiful that you've thought about uh, art not 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 adding more, you know, I don't know, more waste to our world. I think that's really neat the way you've done that. Well, thank you for saying that. I, um, you know, as a parent of a child, you know, every day there's a new, some new art project that your child brings to you. And I love <laughs> that. But I also, you know, 
a lot of times think, you know, it, really the beauty is in the moment and the mm-hmm. beauty is in the creation. And that's where the joy comes from. It, mm-hmm. And um, also just because the discovery, I mean, so much of forged art is discovering, as we were saying earlier, what the thing wants to be. I'll often start by saying, I'm going to make a, trying to make a, a hedgehog with pine needles. And I thought, you know, I kept trying and then I just let it go and I made something completely different. Um, so that joy of just letting the thing emerge is so much of kind of our own sense of what life is. You know, you, we always want to control everything. And the truth is like part of the, uh, of the realization that we can welcome in the beauty that is available to us is just a much more um, calm way. Well, I've discovered to live. And um, the other part of it is having little impact. Um, right. You know, I, I think in terms of, you know, making these projects, it's, you know, we use things like weeds or we, you know, we try to make little, little, as little impact as possible. Um, I, we use blooms that fall on the ground, you know, it's, 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 um, and then there's the idea that you just want the, you want that, that moment to, to let go of that moment. So there's a kind of a, a realistic and a spiritual goal in, in just opening, opening up and seeing something really beautiful and then letting it go. So, um, you know, petals will blow away. Um, but there's a moment and it, it, you know, again, this is the beautiful thing now where you can share it. You can take a photo mm-hmm. and share it with people and then, and let it, and let it not be there anymore. So, um, Right. And I think really it's very good, important. Yeah, you have like in one of these, you say, when you're done, leave your leaf stacks outdoors. They will wither and return to nature. And in a way, that's what we're all experiencing in floral design or flower farming. It's like we're dealing with a product that is perishable and fleeting and seasonal and of the moment. And uh, this is just a different way of, of enjoying those ingredients, maybe more in you know, an art application than say throwing them in a vase. So I, I, I think that there's some real parallels there and how people in the floral industry have to embrace that moment. And I know I've just been involved on a whole um, round of emails between a bunch of florists who are trying to figure out the best way to address comments from customers about why do these flowers only last four days in the vase? And that's sort of, it, in a way, it's like this art. It's not intended to be permanent. <laughs> it's the natural decaying process is taking place or whatever, and that's part of the beauty of it. But explaining that is often, <laughs> you know, le- less less enjoyable than uh, just experiencing it. So, I, I mean... I- well, life cycle is a huge... I mean, uh, one of the things I like to do, actually, I, I have a pretty... Um, I do a lot of Instagram and one of the things that I really love doing is looking at the life cycle of a plant. I right. Mean, that is a, when you watch a dandelion, I mean, it's a bit of a miracle. Just the idea that you see it and the way that it just, it becomes a flower. And then that, that, that globe, that moon, that, you know, the beautiful, and just looking at all the seeds. And I think that, that I think we are always fascinated with that moment where a bouquet is, it's fresh, it's it's gorgeous. But then there are certain flowers like peonies or tulips where like the petals just, they go into this, um, they can papery and their texture changes. And there's just, um, they become even more beautiful, but in a very different way. I think that's where, I guess I'm, you know, there's something about being able to appreciate all the life cycle, to be able to see it holistically, not just, um, and appreciate all the moments 
um, because that is really the beauty. I mean, I that's it. the beauty of life. It's all those moments. Yeah, I love it. Well, I encourage people to check out this beautiful project. It's a it's a book that um, is I would want to have you know as a, a good stack of them to give as gifts. I mean, it seems the kind the kind of thing to give to a office bound, desk bound human being who maybe needs to engage with art um, and who doesn't have a lot of opportunities because a lot of these projects are very simple and could happen on a lunch break or you know just when you only have a few minutes to walk outside with your mug of tea. And that's, that's also, I think, makes it more accessible and inclusive. And I, you know, I, I don't know if that was part of your intent, but it's definitely comes across that this is for anybody. Well, you know, the funny thing is I was realizing the other day that I'm a rather impatient person. Mm. <laughs> and when I do a project um, and, you know, there's a funny moment where you're, you, you work sort of fast and organically until you find what it is you're making and then you slow down and you focus. And I think that, um, as you say, you know, I do this on my way to work sometimes and I, it really, I have had people walk by me and I'm on my hands and knees in the middle on the sidewalk in the middle of the street <laughs> making something. <laughs> and, then, and I've had people stop and say like, what are you doing? And, I, and at one point I was making something, it wasn't really working. And I, I stood up and this man had, he was standing above me and he was like, no, no, you got to finish. You got, I'm waiting. But, <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> you do meet, and it's funny. And I mean, and there's something, uh, I do. I will say there's one project, speaking of like the bigger projects where, you know, you're, you, I think this, this idea of having an idea of what you want to make and letting it come to be, whether it's over a short period of time or a long period of time, I mean, that's a beautiful process for our lives because, mm -hmm. you know, it just makes you so much more open to, yeah. um, to being comfortable with that. Yeah, it, I think of this. Uh, well, we've talked about this uh, earlier when we setting we're setting up the uh, the interview. I mentioned to you that I was participating in the 100 Day Project, which is this Instagram kind of uh, ritual for 100 days, inspired by my uh, friend Lorreen Edwards Forkner, who's also doing it. And I find myself spending a good amount of time in the subconscious of my brain, thinking about what my days art projects going to be and, and what words I'm going to use and how I'm going to post it. And it's like a really pleasant distraction <laughs> when I'm sitting at my desk or when I'm cooking dinner or when I'm running errands because it's, it's just, it's just there. And I feel like that, that additional eye is enriching me. And I feel like when you were working on this book, like, as you said, you can't look at, at anything that nature gives you now without considering what kind of art you would make with it. And that's, that's a wonderful gift. Well, I think the other thing about it is that, um, it, you know, we have a couple of projects in the book where they were bigger projects mm -hmm. and they became things that we spent that, you know, uh, there's a lot of floral book uh, projects, and then there are also some that we did at the beach using shells. We made these Greek mosaics, which, you know, you just get a lot of bleached white shells. And again, this was Peter's invention where he was going to make, he made a giant star around a rock using bleached oh, white shells at the beach. And, um, you know, the, the beach is another metaphor where, you know, I had told him, I said, oh, yes, go to Stinson Beach, lots of good shells there. He got out to Stinson Beach and he called me. There's nothing here. This <laughs> 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 is the tide, right? Right. So like, right. Here we are, I think, like we have a book shoot to do. Why is there no shelves? So they drove <laughs> across the way and went up the coast looking for shelves. 
and then found this one beach with lots of shells. And then to your, you know, what we were saying earlier, the tide will take those out, you know? Mm, so mm-hmm. I went back, you know, the following day and, you know, some of them had left and then by the end of the week, they were all gone back in the ocean. So, um, yeah. so there's some big projects here and, you know, some things like, um, again, we were, uh, went to the East coast thinking we were going to get really beautiful foliage and it was a bad year for foliage. And Peter saw a pile of brown leaves around a tree. And he, again, it was early in the morning and he went out and he attached, um, string to poles sort of radiating out from the tree and then raked between the strings and made these beautiful rays like leaf rays coming out of this tree. It's you know, beautiful. I, it's so funny, Leslie. I have just turned to that page before you started discussing it because I was thinking, well, this is a bit of a time-consuming project, but how profound to turn your lawn into this glorious sunburst pattern with, you know, otherwise kind of depressing brown leaves. And it's just, it is elegant. It's it's such a fun thing to to. Uh, create and then know that the wind's going to come along or the breeze is going to come along and it will be ephemeral. It will, it will, it's fleeting. It'll disappear. Uh, but a new way of looking at things. I congratulate you on that and, um, and on Peter. So I'll, I hope I can share a few of these images on our show notes to inspire people and encourage them uh, with a link on where to get the book. But before I let you go, I want to talk a little bit about your other uh, life. And that is, with Connected Dots Media, which is your company that you've created quite a while ago to to create and package and edit lifestyle books, right? Is that how you would describe it? That was so good. I think I'm <laughs> going to have to put that on my website. That was so well articulated. Well, lifestyle lifestyle yes, means a lot of things, but you you tell me the categories. <laughs> Yes. No, I would start, I was at Chronicle Books for many years. I was a, a cookbook editor and then I became the garden book editor and then lifestyle books, which includes interiors and sort of how we live. Um, mm-hmm. And so I do uh, book packaging or it's really being a producer where I um, will work on an idea and then um, do all the production behind it, whether it's figuring out what the concept is and developing the concept and then working on the art and the text and making it into, I think at this point, I think the word book is also, is also just the, the content, I think, mm. because now mm-hmm. book content is used in so many ways. So, so in some ways I'm, I'm a book producer, but I also really just, I connect, I do all the content creation. That's what I, I guess I do. Yeah. I like that. And that's what, when you started to say you connect people or you connect ideas, that's connected dots. So it's a, aptly named uh, company and based in San Francisco. Um, when did you start that, Leslie? About 10 years ago? Yeah, about nine years ago. Okay. I, uh, As I mentioned, I had been at Chronicle Books for 18 years and wow. it was a fantastic, fantastic place to be. Um, and as an editor there, uh, really so much of it, it was looking for different um, subjects mm-hmm. and different um Projects. And again, it's more projects that were uh, appealing. And, um, you know, I, I loved doing, I loved the garden books. I loved doing flower books. Uh, and I do a lot of cookbooks. Mm-hmm. So uh, most of my work is cookbooks, garden books, memoir, not really memoir, but some, some form of um, personal uh, story. Yeah. Yeah. So was Ariella the first fl- um, florist you work with? And I mean, her book that you guys did together, I believe, is, isn't it called Flowers for the Table? 
The first book we did together while I, uh, while I was at Chronicle was called Flowers for the Table. And then the book that came out more recently was The Flower Workshop. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I know. I've and had, that was a, I, I had her on the podcast and she talked about the fact that like only being able to work with you on that second book was like, you know, that was the, the incentive she needed to, to jump into such a time consuming project. Because there was a big spell of time there between those two books, right? Yes, and it was you know the um, flower world really evolved. Mm-hmm. You know when we when she, her, when she did her first book, really uh, sort of the first wave. Uh, it wasn't really the first wave, but it was it was a different time. And yeah. now there's so many interesting people doing interesting things, and she's uh, her philosophy and how she sees the world similarly has uh, it's has influenced so many people. Um, I agree. And, the, and the community of flower people, it, it's such a rich, interesting community of, and people do, are doing such beautiful things. So in some ways, her second book just was a night caught the, I think the timing for it was, was right. I no, think I, it was so wonderful to see her do it. I agree. It is. It, that was, why, when did that come out? About three or four, three years ago, 2016? Yes. Or, okay. Okay. It's, it's, uh, the flower workshop is a beautiful book. And, um, I, I know that you, uh, collab, you guys loved collaborating together. And, um, that was a project from, uh, your, in your new role as sort of this content creator for books and other things, um, through your own company. Right. Although you had a different, you had, there was, was 10 speed press press the publisher on that. Yes, they did okay. such a beautiful job. They have a, a wonderful team over there, wonderful art director, and um, and the photographer Aaron Kunkel is mm-hmm. just does magical work. Mm-hmm. I got so, to, yeah, I've been to work with her once. Yeah, a, yeah, it's a really it, that the process of doing that was really pretty exciting. And then from that, you jumped to working with Erin Benzacane, a florette. I take it that was, sort, or maybe those were at the same time. I don't know, but her book came out a little later. Her book came out later, yes, and I met her through Ariella, which was so kind. And and Erin, you know, obviously has such a such an amazing job. And Florette has been so beloved, and so it's been really wonderful to just be a part of that process. Um, I, I she really has a because it's on the farm where she does so much of her work. She does all the shooting. She does everything. She's, mm-hmm. she's an amazing person just in terms of how she understands um, her audience and how she communicates with people. It, it was really a thrill to watch her work. And then do you serve as editor on that, Leslie? Or, or what's your role once you kind of birth the, the concept? Well, each role, each book has a, I have a completely different role. It's not completely different, but just it depends on what the book and what the person needs. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, in some cases, I you know I, I will work very hard on the concept for the author. In some cases, as with was the forged art book, it'll be my idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, every single idea, there's a certain amount of just figuring out what the focus is, who the audience is. You know what does what do the visuals need to say, um, and then guiding it through its production process. Right. You know because you might start again. You might start off with an idea, and as you evolve towards you know the actual project, you make discoveries. Just kind of like forged art, but there's a, 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 <laughs> a way of a, 
It is, yeah, and it, and and I think you know I I just as this we were just earlier talking about this cookbook that I was working on where, uh, you know, it just as you get deeper and deeper into a project, it evolves and um, it's yeah. hard to stay on track. You got to stay you got to stay on track, but at the same time make room for those discoveries mm. um, because that's that. the joy of doing these things. I mean, books are very intense; they're very labor intense. They can be lonely sometimes. It's you know it's it's you kind of say something and, and, and it's a, it's a big process I've found. So, you know, I try to help the people I'm working with just, um, stay on track, feel supported, work through problems, come up with solutions. Um, sometimes I, I clip flowers. I, <laughs> <laughs> I go out in the garden with them. We talk. Um, I love I just, it. I love what I do because it's very, creative and I, I love collaboration. Um, it's, it's really, um, the process of, of collaboration is really a process of growth. Well, you collaborate, I think you collaborated with a huge group of people in this new book that's coming out called Feed Your People. And I'd love to just, I know it's not flowers per se, but it's definitely, um, got a farm to table vibe, but can you talk a little bit about that book? Because you're the author of it, right? Yeah. I, so um, every year, my family has a vodka and vodka party, <laughs> and my mom makes 180 vodkas. First, she tells me she's never going to do it again, and then she makes 180 vodkas, and we invite everyone we know. And my dad leads everybody in vodka shots, and it's a, it's a big party that we throw. And so um, I really was thinking a lot about what are the foods that we gather around. You know, what are the foods that you know, bring people together. Um, so if you're going to have a party, it's much better to have, to say, I'm having paella or I'm going to, um, you know, have a seafood boil. They're just mm-hmm. certain kind of food sure. that if you mention them, they just make you think party. And, um, and beyond that, I also just think that, like, bringing people together around food is the best way to, to create community. Um, right. It's where all the great conversations happen. It's where we, we share our lives. And so I decided to go out to um, chefs, cooks, grandmas, and ask, you know, what are the foods you gather around and solicit recipes from all different people. Um, so we have, you know, uh, Joyce Goldstein's, you know, lasagna al forno. We have a beautiful seafood boil from um, Ryan Pruitt, who's in New Orleans. We have uh, foods that you make together in community, like empanadas by Sandra Gutierrez, or dumplings, or onigiri by Sudoku Sakai. So my goal was to get a really nice cross-section of different people and different traditions for the foods we, we, we cook for each other. And also, you know, people, it's for big gatherings, so mm-hmm. from 10 to 20. So maybe it's a Sunday supper, maybe it's a small um, book club, Maybe it is um, a small wedding, but mm-hmm. how do you actually cook for for big groups of people? And there just there wasn't actually that many books out um, that actually teach you how to do this. So, um, feed your people. Is it out yet, Leslie, or is it about to be released? That one comes out um, June. Sorry, that one comes out July tenth. Okay, so it's great. going to be shipping. It's 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 uh it's already uh, available for pre order. Right. Great. Okay. So we'll have a link for that too. And, you know, I wanted to um, 
bring that up as an example because you had a very creative way of birthing that book. And, you know, so many, I've written 10 books, you've done hundreds. And, you know, I find that everybody sort of is curious about everyone in the creative world that I come across, at least it's like, well, I want, I have a book idea and I, how do I get there? And I'm sure you get asked that question in every conversation you have. Um, and I'm just, I just thought that maybe t you could talk a little bit about how you made this feed your people book um, go from idea to reality, because I think it's pretty inventive and it might inspire other people too. You know, every single book, I think the key is whenever, whenever I have an idea for a book, I, I always have to see like, how does that, how does that idea stay with me? So mm. um, a lot of times you know, we'll have different ideas for books, but usually there's one or two that I can't really um, get out of my head until I make them happen. And <laughs> usually that's because <laughs> I love it. Yeah, because I, uh, um, because I see somewhat of an, uh, again, I've been in publishing for such a long time, but, but I think a lot of it is I'll, I'll go and I will look for a book that solves the problem mm -hmm. that I need. Like, as I was saying, you know, when I was doing this thing for Feed Your People, it was like, wow, I, you know, I do this ritual, but I would like to know how other people do this. Well, how do I, how do I actually cook for 10 people? And right. I realized all the cooks. But I was seeing, you know, the yield was four to six. And right. then it, 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 but nobody actually told you, like, how do you do that? What kind of equipment do you use? Like, what's the timing? Um, and what's the best recipe? And so the more um, I started to research it, the more I realized, wow, there's nothing out here that really tells me how to do it. And there's nothing out here that actually speaks to the idea of what it means to have a big batch gathering. Like, why do people do this? So that, and then I started to look around at all the different shops and the hardest part about that book was, was limiting myself in terms of the number of people I could include <laughs> in the book. Um, yeah. It was impossible. I, 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 you know, in that book, um, I had, I was lucky enough to have a wonderful team of people who helped me put it together. And I worked with this lovely, um, cookbook author. Her name is Jessica Batalana. She has her, her own book out called Repertoire, which is a wonderful book, but she would, <laughs> I kept trying to shove recipes in every, uh, every time she would say, are we done yet? And I'd say, how about this one over here? So, um, anyway, so the, the point is that, that, um, that that was one where that idea just really captured me. And then, um, as is the case, uh, sometimes, um, I couldn't find a publisher who believed in the concept, uh, which, was surprising, mm -hmm. but sometimes that happens. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did a Kickstarter, um, and I did. I, I partnered with a wonderful nonprofit by the name of Eighteen Reasons, and they host community dinners. And what we did is that we had a Kickstarter and we raised the money. And then when we were doing the recipe testing, if you're going to test a recipe that feeds twenty people, you better have people you can feed. Right. So we did some recipe testing at Eighteen Reasons for the book, and then fed. The, a lot of the community, and that's how we recipe tested for that book. Um, so, yeah, as you were saying, what, sometimes if I'm so captured by an idea, even when people will say they don't necessarily think it's right for them, I think, well, and how do I how do I do this, and how do I partner with a, you know local organization who will see some benefit from this? Half the proceeds go to them, so I'm super excited about that. Um, that's fabulous, then, Leslie. So we did the Kickstarter. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it comes from a kind of a deep place of, a, you know, I don't even call it a passion project. I call it a compulsion project. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
or, or yeah, or know? yeah, it's your mission project. So, how much money yeah, did you? Yeah. How much money did you actually raise on that Kickstarter campaign? Well, we raised forty thousand dollars on the Kickstarter, um, which which is, sounds really good. Uh, they uh-uh. do take Was- a percent, <laughs> and then you do have to pay. You do have to uh, send out the prizes, and um, yeah. Oh right, the so fulfillment. I right. Kickstarter is a. Yeah, I think the Kickstarter is a wonderful way to do it. We created a community of, you know, 400 people. And um, and that's, you know, that's you got to take that seriously, too, though, because then you've got 400 people who are very invested in your book. So you write updates, and if sure. you fall behind, you have to write lots of love notes. So, um, But it was, it's been wonderful. I, I do feel like every time I do a post, the Kickstarter people are so lovely. They're very um, excited, and that that makes me right. continue on. Well, and, um, and then are you, yeah, are, are you actually right. self-publishing then, or did you ultimately find a publisher? Well, we actually did find a publisher who's handling the distribution. Okay. I think with, with books, the main thing that, that's hard about self-publishing is you don't want to end up with books in your garage. Right, um, right. So, uh, but, you know, there are lots of services like Blurb or, you know, self-publishing services where, you know, you don't, you wouldn't necessarily buy the printing, but, um, but in this case, we knew we wanted to get a wider distribution. So we partnered with Powerhouse Books out of um, uh, New York, and they do very beautiful visual books, just gorgeous. And um, so we're very fortunate because I just got an advance of the book, and it's, they did such a beautiful job on the printing. I'm very excited about that. Well, I didn't mean to ask so many businessy questions, but I think it's just a wonderful example to... I don't know, when you said it's a compulsion book, it's like you, I love that because I think that is something that captures your your compulsion and your passion and enthusiasm and the fact that you were driven to create this book it just captures the imagination of everybody who wants to have a little, a little part of that experience. And if they can make a small contribution to a Kickstarter campaign and then end up in a few years with that actual book in hand, I mean, that's, that's just, talk about community, Leslie, that's truly... Uh, a reason to celebrate creating community, and um, I just love the idea. So, yeah, it, congrats on that. Well, it was really, it was really good. I think the thing is that whenever you do a project, you know, I felt very much like, how do you include people in that? And so, future people became this funny combination of like, uh, I mean, it, it was, it took a long time because there were seventy authors, and we had to double batch test all the recipes. So it was, I like to say it was like three and a half years, 400 Kickstarter members, 60 authors, 100 recipes, thousands of photographs, <laughs> and um, <laughs> one nervous breakdown, and now we have the book. Great. <laughs> I love it. Well, um, I, I just, I think that's great. So um, I know you have um, a presence on Instagram. Is there any other way that people can follow you? Um, I'll be sure to share those that link Um uh, on our show notes for this episode, um, I'll share links to your books and maybe um, your website, and people can kind of check you out and follow along with what's next. And I asked you what's next for Leslie, and you said a big long nap. So, <laughs> but I, I will, <laughs> I'm sure you have some books uh, in your imagination still um, distracting you. Well, I do actually have. Um... It's funny, after doing something that's big, like Feed Your People, um, you know, Foraged Art was a little bit inspired by the need to kind of pull in. And so right. Foraged Art was 
um, really, uh, uh, the reason the books are publishing at the same time is because while the Future People was going on and such a big, big backdrop, the forged art was something that I did as a kind of self-calming exercise. So when I look at that book, I just feel absolutely thrilled with it because, again, it's changed my life in so many ways for the better. Um, so I do, I am, we do have another um, variation on the forged art book, which will be more about forged art for kids. Um, and it will have different projects that are, well, they're not going to be kid-like, but they'll appeal to children. Mm-hmm. It will be a little bit more playful. Um, so I'm excited about that. And again, working with Peter Cole, uh, is such an incredible joy. And our photographer, Rory Earnshaw, who is also in Marin and is just a lovely, lovely photographer. And so I'm looking forward to doing that project. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that would be a really fun follow-up to this book. Oh, well, thank you so much for telling your story and talking about books, which is one of my most favorite topics. And I just I've known you over the years and always adored the few times we've had to see each other in person more more it's long distance. But um, I still have vivid memories of that fabulous book launch party you threw for Ariella at your house in San Francisco that I got to attend. And uh, just what a what a lovely gathering that was. And to toast your good friend and such a talent and uh, on the occasion of her book. So thanks for including me in that and for sharing your story here today. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the show. I, I love what you do. I love your work and I'm just really honored to be a part of it. That's great, Leslie. Well, uh, everyone who's listening, you can uh, come to DebraPrinzing.com to see um, all of the things that we've been discussing. Leslie will be featured on June 6th, uh, episode 352. And um, I'm just glad that we could hear your story and and kind of bring you more into the the flower world uh, after you've been distracted by all that cooking. So thanks a lot, Leslie. Thank you so much. Okay, talk soon. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining me today as Leslie encourages us creating forged art reminds us that life is beautiful in all of its stages and that if we look we can see the grace in every moment. I certainly feel that grace this week as many of you have reached out to thank me for this podcast and tell me how it has helped you. We have 57 five-star reviews on iTunes which is so awesome. One fan just posted this review on iTunes writing, Over the past few months, I've really enjoyed listening to your podcast. Insights and glimpses of what goes on with the Slow Flowers movement is fascinating. As a 30-year veteran of the floral industry here in North America, it's surprising that I haven't been more aware of local growers. Thank you for encouraging the local farms to grow flowers that we can utilize so we can help spread the news of buying American-grown flowers. 
Well, I'm encouraged by the amazing participation in our many opportunities to network, connect, and educate, and this is a bountiful month for doing so. With American Flowers Week coming up on June 28th through July 4th, with the live celebration of American Flowers Week taking place on Friday, June 29th in Washington, D.C., and with the many marketing and branding tools available for your use for free, please take advantage of being part of this community. If you're not on our mailing list, you can find a link to the June Slow Flowers newsletter in today's show notes. Catch up on Slow Flowers members and their fantastic activities in that link. Please make your reservation for the Slow Flowers Summit. Our second annual Slow Flowers Summit takes place in the heart of American Flowers Week, and we have an inspiring lineup of speakers, gorgeous flowers, fun and interactive design activities, and of course, a chance to stretch your imagination in a thought-provoking and stimulating one-day environment. You can find all the registration details at slowflowerssummit.com and via links that I'll share in this week's show notes. I'm grateful to our entire community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. As our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing activity, including advocacy, education, and outreach. You can find the donate button at deborahprinzing.com in the right column. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 324,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening, commenting, liking, and sharing. It means so much. Thank you to our sponsors who have supported Slow Flowers and all of our programs. They include Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of passionate family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing bigger, better peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top-quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at longfield-gardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG, was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Mayesh Wholesale Florist, family-owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. 
Certified American Grown Flowers. The Certified American Grown program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit americangrownflowers.org. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Oh, 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 oh,